ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Time all game. Here's a shot, Julius. He scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied! Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns, he shoots. Yes! Talking Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association, this is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Welcome back to another edition of Pick and Pod. Happy Thanksgiving, first of all. I know it was yesterday, but I'm sure every family still has leftovers that they'll be eating for the next two weeks. So never too late to say uh, thankful again to be part of FUV and to be here on the show alongside Two of my favorite co-hosts, Mike Calamari and Chris Persianen. Guys, how was the holiday? Yeah, I'll go first. I, I always love Thanksgiving. I mean, can't beat uh, some nice food, turkey. Uh, we have ravioli at my house. That's like very unique. I don't very think Italian. there's a lot of, yes, very Italian of me. So that's always great to eat. Uh, great holiday. So I really enjoyed it. I was up in Pennsylvania yesterday where, uh, where my favorite cousins reside. Um, Two types of mac and cheese, two types of stuffing, turkey. Now, we also do pernil because we're Dominican. So it's not just turkey. Wow. We do pork, too. Very tender, very good, the best. And then, um, man, the, the yams, like I was, wow, I was tapped out after two and a half plates. Yes, I fell asleep on their couch before we watched Elf to get in the Christmas spirit. So that was going to be my next question. Like the first song I played this morning was "All I Want for Christmas Is You." Is it too early for Christmas, or is it is it like right when Thanksgiving ends? It's Christmas. That's, that's it. I, I've been cranking Christmas music for like a couple weeks now. I've been really <laughs> early. I think it's a unique year. It's like we don't have really like the COVID restrictions we had last year, so it's like I got to get pumped for the holidays earlier. The the embargo lifts when Thanksgiving dessert is done. That's my take. That has always been my take. That's a very interesting time because it's not, it's not just a day. It's a time during the day. Well, yeah, I like that. My family, it's a very biased take, but I'll say that what my family always does is we always watch a Christmas movie at like once dessert's all done, once everyone's ready to knock out, we put on either Elf or um, just a classic Christmas movie. And that's like, we're the, you're not supposed to watch any Christmas movies all in the individual families. Like no one's supposed to have seen any until we all watch one together. But I found out that I had like eight cousins that broke that rule yesterday. So I think that's not heartbreaking. It's really <laughs> I, sad. You, you gotta know. be loyal. That's but blood I would say Winter Wonderland is a personal favorite of mine. I do very much enjoy the new Bryson Tiller rendition. It's yes. a twist. His daughter's on it. She did a nice job and I thought it was well done. Well, speaking of traditions, one thing I actually like more than watching football on Thanksgiving is NBA on Christmas. And that's the next like big sports tradition we have to look for. That's to. my hot take. I always say NBA on Christmas. I think it's more very close. Yeah, it's very close. Thanksgiving football. Because like you get the oh. Bears Lions and, you know, I'm watching the game and 16, I'm enjoying 14, it. But like six. I got Knicks Hawks on Christmas Day and I got, you know, Lakers Nets. I think another game is. So there's so much there, you know. Yeah, Steph. KD, Braun, you got all these big names and big rivalries. And then the NFL is like Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it's um it's entertaining. 
you know, when, when you make it entertaining with your family members or whatever, you know, have a little beef over teams or quarterbacks or whatever it is, but that's just it. You've got to make it fun. NBA to me, the, it just Christmas day is, is incredible. Listen, NBA is fun to talk about and that's why we're here to talk some basketball. So let's get right into it. The Knicks, now the, now the NBA doesn't play on Thanksgiving, but the last game the Knicks had, they won 106-100 over the shorthanded Lakers. They were, the Lakers were, of course, without LeBron, who was serving that one-game suspension because of that alteration with Isaiah Stewart that's been all over the internet. I've used that, the meme of him running at LeBron, running through all the security guards like twice now on Twitter. I've just seen it everywhere, but with all the, that being said. Uh, the crabs running sound in the background. Oh, oh, you know, you know the one, you know the one, but. Uh, the, the Knicks pulled away with the win on this one. They started they started well. They started aggressive, aggressive, which is something we haven't been able to say about them for a while. They went on a 10-0 run to start the game. They had a 10-point lead at half. Eventually, the Lakers went on a 16-2 run uh, and were able to pull the game closer. And eventually, the Knicks were still able to come out on top with this one. Uh, Randall had 20 points, 16 rebounds, 5 assists. He sat out majority of the fourth because of a foul trouble. Uh, Quick continues to be probably the most explosive player on this team. He had 14 points, 12 of those in the fourth quarter and from deep. Uh, Mike, I'll start with you. Reactions to this win for the Knicks to put them uh, at 10 and eight overall on the season. I think it's a really big win in a lot of ways when you're looking at it. I think one way is the Knicks have had some struggles at home this season. They haven't been a fantastic team when playing at the garden, you know, you think about two losses to the Orlando magic bottom of the Eastern conference. So when you, you know, host a team like, you know, the Lakers and you beat them and you beat them convincingly, you started with, you talk about the 10 0 run. They started out with, you know, faltered a little in the third quarter, Russell Westbrook really came alive then, but you know, the Knicks still got a, a convincing win. And I think it just shows what the Knicks can be at their best. Like when this team is really clicking and I think a lot of it comes down to Evan Fournier getting him the ball, getting him for shots. But, you know, when this team's really on the same page, they can be very good. And they're a top-of-the-line NBA team. It's just about nailing down that consistency because there's so many moving parts with this team. Think about the first unit, that, the starting rotation of guys, you know, Kemba Walker, Evan Fournier, two new pieces to that puzzle. And then think about that second unit, a team that plays very fast-paced but almost wins their matchup every time finding a way for those to coincide and really be at their best at um, all the time. If they can find that they're going to be able to beat teams like the Lakers, potentially like the Suns tonight, the Warriors moving forward, which they have in a week or two. I think that's what the takeaway was from that Laker game at their best. They're a really good team. And I forgot to mention the most, probably the biggest storyline out of this game, Evan Fournier had 26 points. We finally got a good shooting game out of him. Chris, you just started shaking your head reactions from that performance. You know, just be, it was a primetime game, and I, I will say he has this thing that he does where he goes off in primetime games, and then we'll be playing Houston, and he'll drop a nice, like, six points or whatever. Um, but my take from that Lakers game, um, you got to go back to the Rockets game for my real take on it, and that Bulls game, that loss to the Bulls, that all of that good stuff um, – the game against Orlando, the game against Houston, I was incredibly unimpressed by how we played um, as a team. I thought the Knicks shined 
flashlights all over their defensive miscommunications, like screaming at the defense, like, hey, like we screwed up. He's open in the corner, you know, like all this stuff that it's like these guys have the ability, they have the drive, they have the talent, they have the the will to want to win these games. And it's it's not like the Knicks put together a group of talented losers or a group of really motivated bad players. Like you have both good players and motivated players, and they were unable to string together four decent quarters of play, 48 minutes of good basketball. And it was about what 20 games into the season closing in on it. So that's really tough. Um, when you lose to Orlando twice at home, when you put up a stinker against Houston at home, it's really unencouraging to people like me who like to look for any sign of hope they can. Um, but I maintain that they would be fine. And you, I will say that a little bit of that was just hope. It was also because I know that this was the, the group of guys who will want to figure this out together. As we spoke about, you know, last time we talked about the Knicks on Pick and Pod, like, this is the type of team that does end up getting better as the season goes on and figuring things out. So for me, I was really encouraged by that performance against Los Angeles because it said to me that there is a good team that knows how to play together stuck inside this shell that they have. And, and we got a peak. It took LeBron getting suspended and it took the Lakers being in year-long disarray but we got to peek through that shell as to what that good team can look like. And that has to be encouraging to you, you know, no matter your stance on the Knicks and, and where you think they'll end up at year's end. Um, this, that was a better performance than I've seen from them in weeks. I mean, if you look at this team just in this month alone, they've come back from being 21 points down to beat the Bucks. They were down by 24 points. The second time they played the Bucks and lost that one. And then in this game, they blow a 25 point lead and still are we able to beat the Lakers? So you're right, Chris, in the fact that this is a team that no matter what the game is looking like, we now, like you said, have an example of just that shows that they can still find a way to win. Now, this against the Lakers, the Lakers are a good team. Anytime you have a Lakers-Knicks matchup, it's, it's kind of a rivalry at this point. And it's, it's always going to be a good game. But this is a Lakers team that was without their best player. AD had the flu. He played, well, I think, 20 minutes, but he was still sick. He wasn't at 100%. Uh, Carmelo had the worst shooting game of his season so far, just three of 14 uh, from the field. THT missed all eight of his shots. So the Lakers didn't play well in this one. And it begs the question, they have a very tough schedule ahead. Suns tonight, which I believe both of you are going to be in attendance more than the Hawks, Nets, Bulls, Nuggets. So I think the next five, six games are really going to be a true test of what kind of team this Knicks team really is going to look like uh, through the final second half of the season. Yeah, I, I think that's a, you know, a, a great point. You know, the tough schedule ahead against playoff teams that are at the top of their conferences. You think about the Suns, I think they have Denver approaching, also the Warriors. So a lot of good teams out there. Uh, I think a, a, a big question with the Knicks, though, is that how they play against those bottom of the conference teams. You know, Chris, you pointed out the Houston game. They win that, but, you know, Something that didn't look they lost by 35, Mike. Did it, it did not feel that way. Yeah. And then, you know, the Orlando game, Orlando looked better in the garden um, when they played the Knicks than, you know, the Lakers looked, you know, that and that can't happen. So Cole I, Anthony and Mo Bamba, man, these guys are from that's a, New York. Yeah. That's we a let them come in and put on a show. Orlando. Cole, I was at that first Magic game and the second one. The first one, Cole's mom was courtside. 
he was pointing to her doing little finger guns all this stuff every time he was dropping threes i'm like if you're the real new york knicks you have a chance right now to break this kid's spirit for life by making him drop a stinker in front of mom's courtside and you let him go off for a triple double i was yeah i I just i think part of it is that they don't rise up to play like they rise up to play big teams and they seem to I don't, I don't think they come into the game taking it easy, but there's definitely a different atmosphere when you're playing against the Magic and Rockets in the Garden versus, like, the Lakers. And I think that might just be a little bit of an experience with this young roster. Uh, I also think it's that, you know, the guys don't really know. I don't have, the like, the feeling that Randall really knows how to play with Kemba yet or he knows how to play with Fournier yet. And I don't think it helps that the first and second unit play at such different styles that – it does like it's hard for Randall to play with that second unit because the second unit runs up and down the court. And, you know, when Randall has the ball, it really turns into a half court offense. So I think it's just about learning each other. And when the big games happen, they really come alive. And then when the, uh, when like the games like, you know, um, Orlando and Houston happen, they play down to their competition a little bit. So that's something I really want to see going forward. If the Knicks have a great stretch against these playoffs team, playoff teams, but then they have a stinker in July, uh, January against worse teams. I think that would be really disappointing, but there's a lot to like with this Knicks team. It's just, you know, you kind of get the waiting game of how many games are going to take for them to really look like a cohesive unit out there. Mike, I think that's a great point because a lot of their losses have come against weaker opponents. So it's this question of them playing to the level of their opponent, whether that be up against big teams and down against worse teams. But one more question, and I've asked, and you talked about this almost every time we talk about the Knicks on Pick and Pod, but it just, it's come into fruition and it's come into question so many times. And that is the question of their lineup and, and looking at changing that, switching that around. With D. Rose out, we've seen uh, Thibodeau have to get a little more creative, at least in that second unit. He's, we've seen some more hybrid lineups uh, since Rose has been out there. And I, I think that you need to keep IQ and OB together, but I, I know that there are some, People out there who would love to see quick start start and maybe take place, uh, take Walker's place, maybe just move Fournier to the second unit. I've seen different uh, suggestions thrown out there. So I just final next question. How are you feeling about switching up that starting rotation moving forward, especially in the stretch that they're about to face uh, the next few weeks? Uh, I'll go first this one, then I'll hand it off to Chris. I've been a you know a big proponent of, you know quickly finding his way in that starting rotation. I think what he does provide is energy off the bench, which is something you need. But I think he right now is shooting better than Kemba is from three and that and that offense they run really in the first unit where it's more half court, I think quickly could really come alive. And you know, quickly's playing more fourth quarters than Kemba Walker is. And uh I think what that tells me is if he's you're gonna trust him in the fourth quarter when it matters most, then shouldn't we trust him to start off the game too? You know, that's what it really tells me. And then I would like to see Kemba Walker in that second unit. Maybe that has a quicker pace. How does he play, you know, Rose in that, um, in that backcourt? That's something that I would be interested to see uh, moving forward. I'm not sure if Tom Thibodeau will go in that direction. I have a feeling that he won't, and he wants to stick with this starting rotation. But, you know, that's just like, as someone watching the games, I would like to see that, what that would look like. I just know that in the locker room, that's a tough thing to do to put quickly in there and send Kemba to the bench. And I think Fournier really needs to be in that starting rotation just because when he gets the ball, when he shoots, he's not a guy who's going to create his own jump shot really. But if you can get him the ball and open jump shots, I mean, when he's, when he's scoring, the Knicks are playing well. And I think that's a really key thing. If he can get open, especially with Randall and those guys around in the first unit, RJ Barrett, 
that makes the Knicks really good. So I would like to see quickly in there with for Kemba. I don't know how realistic it is, but I mean, that's just what I would like to see if I could, you know, choose. It's tough with Thibodeau, right? Because, you know, as, as you guys were talking, Mike, you brought up, I don't know how else to say besides just like, I hear his audio clips playing in my head as you guys speak. Mike said, you know, uh, Kemba starts the games and quickly closes them. And I won't embarrass myself and do my, my Tom impression, but I, I just hear, I hear him going, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who starts the games. It matters who closes them. You know, that. Well, he always <laughs> plays the hot hand, you know, that's always how he's been. And that's how he's been all year. But I, I like, in if you're, I always say this, like these big teams, like they're not going to play the hot hand, the fourth, like they're going to go to their guys. And if I like, your guy, he should start the game. That's what I always think. I like the thought of starting quickly. I do think that there is an underrated, I think Kelly was who brought it up, the, the chemistry between quickly and Obi, just like, it's there. It definitely is. Not yeah. even just on the court. I'm talking these guys, they always, so Tibbs last year, he would do a platoon swap. He'd send in basically the whole bench and take out basically the entire starting lineup. He's modernized a little bit this year because he realized that that's really dumb um, and that you can get a bunch of fun and dynamic lineups combining your bench and starters, especially with how just diverse of a team the Knicks are in regards to their skill sets. He puts in Burks by himself. Burks is great. Versus, he'll put in Rose and Taj together if, if Noel is out. He lets those two guys go in together. The last sub, it's always both Obi and Quigley at the same time. And I read just the other day that they actually, at the scorer's table, before every time they sub in together yeah. for the games, they like dap up, they they talk to each other and they're like, we're about to go in this game. We're about to turn this baby up. Like, let's get in there and let's put the energy up to a hundred in that room. Like these two guys, they've got chemistry and I, I you know, I'm not going to mess with success. I will say that the Knicks though need to look at a way to have this starting lineup playing up to snuff. And I talked about on the last pick and pod that I, I was on with, with you, Kelly, um, about how I really dislike Kemba Walker's tendency to hand the ball off far away from the basket and run in the corner. I've started watching for that really specifically. And I found that he'll come out in the first quarter, aggressive, willing to shoot, taking pull-up threes off the dribble threes, taking floaters, layups, tough dribble moves into tough shots. And the second quarter and on when he is in, he gets that off ball screen and disappears right into that corner um Evan we saw against the Lakers you know the Knicks have a good player in that guy and a good score um when he's on the whole team is rolling when Kemba's scoring the rest of the starters still stink and that says to me that you have um uh, five guys out there playing together but you know I, I I'm trying to think of something here like you're, you've got five fish swimming together and one is coated in oil like he's just not connecting with the others when the way he should be, even though he's out there, you know, swimming real nice, whatever you want to say, this analogy is beyond blown. Um, but I just think that quickly would be like the perfect guy, you know, quickly would be the perfect guy to put in for Kemba. I will say this though. And it's that in the locker room, yeah. you've got human beings. And when you bench Kemba Walker for Emmanuel quickly, that's something the vets are going to hype quickly up for. 
It's something the fans are going to hype quickly up for. It's something most people are going to be pretty excited about, except for your like old head New York fans that think Kemba's the GOAT because he's from the Bronx. Um, you can't undo that decision, in my opinion. If you bench Walker and start quickly and that doesn't go well, putting that back will kill Quickly's confidence. It'll deflate the second unit. Kemba will start playing, you know, back the, he'll fall back into that lazy route because he knows, oh, well, my starting job is safe. This kid can't do it. I'm chilling. Um, I'm, like, you know, these are humans and there's, there's human aspects to all this stuff. I want to say that my official vote is for the lineup to stay as is for these guys to get some more games in together without injuries you know look at the center rotation as of right now it's it's uh, it's uh, it's a triage over there so um I, I say leave the rotation as is and let these guys figure it out yeah I, I agree with you Chris we're not even they're not even 20 games into their season yet and I think you're right in the fact that switching a lineup like that taking a guy who first of all you you spend a good amount of money on getting to come be in that first first unit in Kemba Walker and you switch up quickly I think you made a great point there that not only just physically are, are the repercussions could be bad, but just mentally, uh, that mental game for them could be really messed up if the plan doesn't go uh, accordingly. So I, I think I, I wouldn't worry. We love in sports radio and sport, in sports podcasting to overreact to things. And I think so far this team isn't too much trouble that you need to shake up the entire lineup. But from one very talented and deep team to another talented deep team, the team that the uh, New York Knicks will host at MSG tonight and the Phoenix Suns, who they will arrive in the garden riding a 14-game winning streak and having the league's second-best record at 15-3. Their longest franchise streak actually came in the 06-07 season when they had 17 straight wins. Uh, that was with Nash and Sotomayor leading them. And then the only other team I can think of for the Suns that, that mirrored this kind of potential was the 92-93 team. That, of course, also had a 14-game win streak led by none, are, none other than Charles Barkley. He led his team to the NBA Finals. They ultimately lost to the Bulls in that one. But this Suns team is just uber-talented. Uh, and we always like to talk – this is a New York sports show, so we talk about how talented the Knicks are. But when you look just head-to-toe how talented this Suns roster, who really – they really only play nine guys, um, mainly because the other guys on their team are injured. But – uh, Chris Paul, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, just it, it, I'm worried for the Knicks in this game because of just how out of their minds this team has been playing as of late. Yeah, I mean this is a really strong Suns team, and going, I mean at the start of this year you might have been like, you know, well they had their run in the finals, and now you know it, it's kind of looking through the rearview mirror, it's not going to happen again. But you know, I, I really think that this team can get back there. It's a loaded West at the top. I think the East might be a deeper conference this year, but the top teams in the West are still that good with the Warriors, with the Nuggets, uh, with the Lakers when they start finding their groove. But, you know, this Suns team is very good. We have a scorer like Devin Booker who can really, like, get the bat, uh, the ball in the basket at will. And then you have a guy like Chris Paul play off the ball with him, need be. And then if he needs to in the fourth quarter, be that scorer. That's just a perfect pair. And DeAndre Aiden, he's their big man. So I think there's a lot to like with this Suns team. And, I mean, the stretch they're on, I mean, they're the hottest team in the NBA. And that's not to overlook the, what the Warriors have been doing. It's just when you win that many games consecutively, you're going to be the best team in the NBA. 
Uh, if they if they beat the Knicks in the Garden tonight, I think that says a lot. This is a Knicks team that's you know they just coming off the win from the Lakers. You know maybe they're starting to find something click, and now they have a chance to you know cut off this uh, win streak. I think the Knicks are going to really want this one. And if the Suns can come into the Garden tonight and win, I think that says a lot about you know how real they might be moving forward and whether they can get back you know into the finals. The Suns are are burning hot right now, man. They are incapable of losing, it seems. Forgive the pun. And despite the, you know, seeming internal issues with um, their owner, Robert Sarver, and this, like, first of all, his unwillingness to pay DeAndre Ayton, his number one pick in the draft, who helped them get to the NBA finals. He won't he won't pay him what he wants. So that that's one thing, even though he just handed Landry Shamit. $44 million and Macau Bridges, who I like $90 million or, or something around there. That's one thing. The other thing is the gigantic probe that the, like the investigation that's being done into his alleged like long-standing offensive behavior. So, you know, apparently there's a lot going on in Phoenix and this team is a, a team that I thought for all these factors, as well as the, the good old Super Bowl hangover, um, I thought this team would be a decent team to bet the under on this year. You know, uh, last year, kind of a weird year. Chris Paul, his experience, Devin Booker's pure scoring ability and the rest of the team's ability to just fall right into place. Um, I was really impressed by it, but I thought, you know, 46 wins this year. This team might push 55. Like, they're looking really good. And I would not be surprised if they came in and, and rolled the Knicks over tonight. Um I expect this one to be close and I expect it to be close all game long. Even the Knicks might, they might even hold a halftime lead. There's about five or six minutes left in the fourth quarter though, Mike, there's one player you got to have your eyes on and that's number three on Phoenix um, when you're there tonight, because he has the ability to take over games single-handedly. And the way he does that is by involving his teammates to the extent that he pleases, but it's him. He's the I, wizard of the basketball. Chris, I don't want to bring, like I don't want to bring it all the way back to the Knicks, but it's going to be interesting to see tonight. You know what that final unit will be against this Suns team. How Tibbs is going to look up, look to match with Chris Paul, Devin Booker in this one. I think that's going to be something to watch out for. Kemba can't guard Paul, man. I want to see him go rose quickly at the as the final lineup. If Fournier is not shooting well, if he is, you pick one of Rosa quickly. You throw Fournier in with the other, and, and that's your lineup. Because it's, it's really tough to defend against this Suns team. They're really oh, versatile because, you know, in the fourth quarter when it matters, you know, Chris Paul turns into a 25 points per game scorer. Like, that's Booker really what happens. is a 30-point-per-game and, and Booker already is. So when you have two guys on the floor, you really have to it's – a, it's a defend – yeah, it's a juggernaut. You really have to, you know, find a way to stop yeah. that, which I think Tibbs will do, but it'll be interesting to see how he does it. This team, yeah, I mean, last year, the way they won was Chris Paul making crazy shots. So we played good defense. The, the Knicks played good defense. Chris Paul just played better offense, and that's kind of how he tends to play. Anyway, my final take quickly on the Suns is that they are they are a team that I underestimated going into this year, and they are certainly a force to be reckoned with come final time. Yeah, and I think what's also scary about this team is the way that they're winning games. I mean, they have six players averaging double-digit points. It's not just Chris Paul. It's not just Devin Booker. So, and they're averaging 26.9 assists per game, which is fourth best in the league. And it, there's wins this season where none of their players have scored over 20 points, but that's just because how much they're sharing the ball. And I think you, Mike and, and Chris, you both talked about the troubles guarding a team like this, having to, and it, it's a very 
you, you have to find players who can guard. You need a big who's going to be able to take uh, take down DeAndre Ayton. And then you need multiple uh, guys who can guard the multitude of wings and guard players that they have who can score in those big moments. And you look at the game they just won in Cleveland, and, and they won that game because, because of how many big moments they had in the final three minutes. I mean, Devin Booker hits a big shot. Bridges has a dunk. Paul, it's another jumper to give them the lead of three. Bridges block has a big block. Chris Paul then draws a foul off a rip move. He's six of six on three throws in the final two minutes. So this is a team that no matter who they're playing, just knows how to win in those final minutes. So before we move on, I do want to talk about the Lakers. I mean, not the Lakers, sorry, the Warriors, who have probably been the other best team uh, in, in the league and in the Western Conference this year. But one, one point, just a caution to look out for this season, and maybe this is this is stretching it and grasping for straws right now, but this is a nine-man rotation. At least one or two of their starters is playing plus 36 minutes every night. Uh, even with Johnson, McGee, and Payne all playing over 20 minutes, uh, Aiden was in foul trouble last game, or he also would have been 30-plus. This is a team that isn't very deep in terms of players off the bench, mainly because a lot of their players are just injured right now. Kaminsky. Uh, he's been out for a while. Don't really know when we're going to get him back. Nader's been out the past three games. Obviously, Sarge out with the season with the ACL. So one thing, when, when a team has a streak, you look at the 2012-2013 Heat team or even the 2015-2016 Warriors, they're going to – they're going to – it takes extra effort. It takes extra physicality from their best guys to maintain a streak like that, and there becomes this added pressure on this team to continue winning games and winning them by by large margins, no matter who they're playing, uh, maybe it was an excuse, but the Warriors kind of used that as a scapegoat for blowing their three to one lead uh, against Cleveland um, in that season. So just watching out that you're able to keep these guys healthy uh, throughout the season. But that's all I have to say on the Suns. I want to move on to the Warriors, who are, of course they are 16 and two uh, in the last 10 games. They're nine and one. And again, just another explosive team that pretty much looks unstoppable. And to me, the three reasons are Steph Curry, just Steph Curry as a player, uh, Draymond Green's defense, and then Andrew Wiggins has been more consistent this year than we've seen uh, in previous years. So, Mike, we'll start with you. What, what in your, in your opinion, uh, has been the keys to the Warriors' success so far this season? Uh. I think it's a couple things like you mentioned. One thing that um, I will say, uh, the first pick of pot, I think, before the NBA season, we had, we were talking about like our predictions for the season, you know, MVP, six man of the year, and we did coach of the year. And I, I said Steve, Steph Curry. You did, you I said, said Steph, Steph Curry. Curry. All right, that's Just a good like pick. To point that little, out. But I, I had Steve Curry as um, my coach of the year. So I, I really think he's done a great job, you know, finding guys. I and mean, think about the leap Jordan Poole's made this year 13 points per game last season, 18 this season. You know, he's really been great. And, you know, the job Steph Curry has been doing is great. I think he, he's without a doubt the front runner for MVP. So, I mean, that's got to be a great pick. But I really think that, you know, Curry matched with Curry, you know, that veteran leadership they brought into this team. And then when you get Clay back, just building your 16 and two, and then you get, you know, your best, second best player back on the team. I can only imagine the leap they make after that. There's just so much that's going well with this team. I think everyone knows their role. And I think that helps a lot. You know, I think, you know, bringing it all the way back to the Knicks, what I was thinking about is like sometimes what's problem with them is that, you know, they have a lot of guys there that are used to different roles on other teams and they have to find their new role on the, the Knicks. I think everyone on the Warriors has really bought into what their job is and how they can best win every night. 
And I think led by Steph Curry, led by Steve Kerr, I think that's just, you know, a perfect recipe for success. And that's what we're seeing right now. I had Curry as MVP preseason too. So great minds think alike. Ellie and I get to um, put on our running shoes and and hit a little victory lap around now. It's not Uh, over yet. It's not over. It's still a lot of season left. Of course, of course, but. It's Steph Curry. Come on. Yeah, um, <laughs> this Warriors team is, is really fun. I mentioned on the last episode that nothing against guys like Wiseman, Oubre, Ken Bazemore, et cetera, but the Warriors run a read and react offense, which requires a really high basketball IQ the will, and the ability to buy into figuring out that whole scheme. It runs really, really nicely when you have guys that can run it. Because when Steph Curry is your lead guy, um, spoiler, it's kind of easy to scheme stuff up. Uh, so with this complicated scheme, it actually works like a machine. The thing is that guys like Bazemore, Ubre, young rookie Wiseman just weren't executing the scheme pretty much at all. And that led to some nasty, nasty net ratings for those guys this year. You know, some smaller names. I know Otto Porter Jr. isn't as exciting to the average fan as Kelly Oubre Jr., but I think he's about twice as good of a player for that Warriors team. So pickups like him, pickups like the return of Clay when he comes back, but guys like Nemanja Bielitsa and um, Jordan Poole, as you mentioned, I, I uh, you know, welcome to the pool party, Mike. Um, I've been here for a couple of years now with my stock. I'm just joining, yeah. Hasn't It hasn't necessarily skyrocketed until the end of last year and that's when he showed a a real um, ability to to do some basketball stuff and this year he's come out and looked really good I'm really excited for this team to potentially hit a next gear and the way they do that is by putting clay into the starting lineup and having pool run that bench unit because then even though pool might be a better player than clay like right now you know clay coming off two consecutive injuries might not come back the same athlete, even though we still love him. It's just tough for players to recover fully from two consecutive leg injuries like that. Clay, though, his chemistry with Steph, pull off the bench, Kerr running the show. This is going to be a fun man. I want to say last episode, I said 55 and they could push 60. I want to say they could push like 62, 63 wins well, now. I wonder, this is a question, I guess, like for everyone, but are the Warriors and Suns on pace to break? their own like are the Warriors on pace to maybe break their own record two losses through 18 no. games no uh, right they, they, I, they, I don't think the Warriors are getting 73 wins again I, even as good as they're going to be no I, mean, I don't think so a couple but it, years before we see any team pull that off I, mean, I get just, I, I wonder but, if we ever do that's tough but the way that they I, for Durant to end up there it's it's so unreplicable I will say what's terrifying is that this Warriors team is only going to get better like Chris mentioned, we don't. Clay Thompson hasn't played a second yet. To be fair, he did participate in full team practice Tuesday. Uh, he's cleared for five on five work, which is exciting. And James Wiseman is another person they're expected to get back. Now his rehab isn't going as smoothly as Clay Thompson. Uh, I think we probably expected him to be playing by now, and he's still probably a month or so out. But those are two. I mean, James Wiseman is a former second overall pick. You, you have two great players. You're going to get back. And Steve Kirst, you want to speak of potential coach of the year, he's going to have some hard decisions to make when both those players are back. And I have, I, I guess I'm joining the pool party now. I love his confidence as a player, but I mean, it's going to be strange sending him back to that second unit, just given how well he's played. And then with James Wiseman, again, you're going to have some more questions 
to deal with there when uh, you look at some, just the way that this team has played without him. Kevin Looney is someone, Kevon Looney is someone who I think has really stepped up and his offensive numbers maybe don't really tell the story as much as just how strong he's been defensively. And I, I think defense has been the identity of this team so far, aside from Steph Curry just going off every night. Uh, Draymond Green has been a real reason for that. But also, Chris, this is taking back to your original point when we started talking about the Warriors and that that some of these smaller players, these lesser known names, uh, even like Gary Payton, they've been getting those minutes just because of how strong they've been. Yeah, he does. He does. Uh, he, but he's been getting those minutes because of just how well he's been playing defensively. Even Kaminga, uh, he's been a good help defensively. And it kind of reminds you that originally Steve Kerr was more of a defensive coach. He just hasn't had to flex that as much in the past. But this year, we're really seeing uh, just how well and cohesive he can make his team defensively play. And it's just scary to me that they're only going to get better when they get Thompson and Wiseman back. Yeah, hopefully Wiseman develops to an extent where he can be like a, a real useful player. Um, I was not super high on him that draft, but I do think he, again, on the team with Steph Curry, can end up being pretty useful. So I think he is a very interesting piece because figuring out how he works with his Warriors team, I think he can take them from like a very, very good team to a, a championship team again because, you know, the Warriors have never had, you know, a great big man even thinking about you know, those years when they're going back and forth with Cleveland in the championships. But, you know, if they had a big man that really bought in, you know, to just getting rebounds, distributing the ball around the perimeter, and when he needs to finish around the rim, if Wiseman can be that guy, I think the sky's the limit for this Warriors team. They're just that dangerous. So I think it just makes the West all that tougher if the Warriors get even better when, you know, when they return Thompson and Wiseman. Right. I mean, you look at their their big men right now, it's Draymond Green pretty much, six foot six. Von Looney, who's 6'9", and then you're going to get James Wiseman back, who's probably the most athletic and strongest member of that group. And look what they just did to the Sixers, who have arguably the strongest uh, big men front court group in the league. So, um, yeah, scary, scary for these Warriors. And they're going to be playing the Knicks December 14th, so definitely want to check out that game in a few weeks. But that's about all the time we have for this episode of pick and pod. I want to thank Chris Persiani and Mike Calamari for always being such fun to host the show with. Uh, of course, I'm Kelly Bright. Definitely going to want to come back next week and break down the Knicks and Suns game from tonight and also whoever else the Knicks play in, in the coming week. But great episode, guys, and we will make sure to see you guys next week. Pick and pod is a production of WFED Sports.